Hello, and welcome to the Film Design Podcast. I'm your host, Max Lincoln. Maxwell Fine moves fluidly across art department roles. He's a set decorator for series such as Sick of It and Game Face, an art director on Celebs Go Dating, and numerous TV and commercial projects as a production buyer. Yes, if you'd like to explain a bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, so my name's Maxwell Fine. I have been, um, I've been working in the art department for about 10 years now, which seems like a very, very long time. Um, and I started, I started a very long time ago with someone called Dahlia Gellert, who I believe you was on this podcast as well. Um, I actually met her just as I finished uni, I went to Centre of St. Martin's and studied performance design. And then I met Dahlia and she gave me my first ever job a very long time ago. And we worked on ITV2's Girlfriends, which was a reality show. And we also worked on a BBC Three show called... Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't The Apprentice, but it was something similar. The Candidate. Okay. <laughs> we worked on a show called The Candidate, where we, we basically, Dalio and I, went around to these various locations and we just jazzed up these amazing houses that all of these contestants would live in for girlfriends, and uh, which was a show about people's girlfriends, I think. Um, and The Candidate, which was a show about, know people competing for a job or something something apprenticey but not quite the apprentice and um, and they lived in these houses and we blagged our way to all these different um props and all these lovely things oh, it was my first introduction to sourcing which was quite interesting so we'd like phone up i remember we used to we used to meet up at Dahlia's and we used to get all i used to bring over all of the interiors magazines and i'd go through all of them um, and I'd phone up every single interiors company and tell them about the show. I'd set, I'd email them a blurb and I'd say, we're looking for all these amazing things and we'd love for your company to be heavily involved. And of course, you couldn't feature anything, unfortunately. You couldn't give anyone credits because it was the BBC. But the sentiment was there and it was a nice thing to do because yeah. we had a shoestring to make these shows on back in the day and um, but the, we, everyone still wanted them to look fabulous but now I'd almost be strictly against that mentality because I feel like everyone should be paid exactly what they're owed but back back then we sort of needed to prove ourselves to all these producers <laughs> these scary people yeah. and be like oh, we can make something out of nothing and we can, but which is now completely everything that I stand against. I can't bear making something out of nothing. It's, it's completely 10 years into my career, the opposite of my mentality. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose that comes with experience is that actually you shouldn't offer something for nothing because that's not realistic. No, <laughs> it's, it's also like, I, I think a lot of the, especially like low budget shorts I did at the very start of my career, I, I just don't, entirely know how i'd feasibly do them now um, you get these people and they're like oh we're doing this absolutely unbelievable micro budget no budget everyone's doing it for fun yeah. shoot and you're just like i think it takes us it takes a certain amount of passion and selflessness to do something like that and 
I don't have that anymore because I don't have anything to prove to anyone. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care enough about the art of story making to do things for free. But um but lots of people do and you just and they've got these crazy they're like, oh, you know, the micro budget films, for example, they'd be like, oh, it's set in a dystopian future and everything explodes in the first scene and there's ridiculous special effect. And you're just like, where is this money coming from? You have a, you have two pence to rub together. Um, but obviously there's a whole section of film media that do these things and hats off to them because I absolutely would not be able to do that. Yeah. I can work wonders with a nice budget and I can work wonders with a low budget, but with with a no budget micro budget, it's not my, it's not my expertise at all. And I think it's it's amazing what people create with, with zero money. Um, but it, it's definitely a passion driven side of the industry. So in terms of yourself, like you know, you obviously had a passion for styling quite early on and. Your CV and career is quite varied. Like you've moved between art directing, some light entertainment, and some kind of series for TV, and also commercials. But then you've also been buying and styling, and now set decorating. Um, how do you how do you move between the areas so frequently, or do you find that there's one that you're trying to head towards? Like <laughs> I just answer the phone, Max. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I quite enjoy. There's different elements of different job roles that are that have pros and cons, as with anything. So I was introduced into the industry by uh, lovely Dahlia, who we know and love. And she is predominantly, well, she was back then, she was a buyer stylist. Um, and now she does a bit more sort of set decks type stuff as obviously her career's developed. Um, but I was introduced to the industry through kind of a buying lens, if you will. So, so all my experience professionally when I started was about sourcing and was about buying. Um, and then I think what happened was Dahlia couldn't do a job one time because she already had something. And then a friend of hers who was a producer needed help doing something else and then I'd been working with her for a couple of months so I took that on and it was a small little VT or something and then that producer phoned me again and it all kind of snowballed and it's kind of you know oh is Max free can he do this will he do that and it was all quite a kind of a gentle easing in and then Dahlia introduced me to um, Made Workshop mm -hmm. James Hamilton and Scott Parrish, Scott, Scott Parrish with designer Mark Connell and we started doing I think the first job I ever did with them was a Jesse J video and I had no idea what I was doing and uh, Dahlia wasn't um, was busy doing another job that they had on and it was all because they're so busy they're just brilliant they they run the most crazy jobs and they just smash it every time and obviously me coming into it first time I had no idea and I was like oh these people <laughs> but um, we were doing this Jesse J video and I remember sitting with my K's art department diary which is a directory of all of the suppliers that one would use potentially and um, as, a, as a junior 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 and I just sort of remember sitting in some town somewhere I don't know where somewhere in the countryside and I'd been outsourcing vintage lighting from a supplier that I'd never heard of or been to and it was all very exciting because it was for a big music video and I'd never done this before and sort of 
I don't know. I feel like when you walk into a room, people are like, they assume you have a certain baseline of knowledge, and I absolutely didn't. I had no idea what I was doing at all. <laughs> I was I was able. I mean, I'm logical. I've got a head screwed on, but I had never done that before at all. So I was just kind of feeling my way through. Luckily, I'm a bit of a schmoozer, and I'm I'm quite chatty. So I kind of felt my way through, and um and yeah, we sourced these. I don't know, whatever it was for this Jesse J video. And it kind of went from there. So that's kind of how I bled into advertising through the made guys. Um, and I've really sort of, stu- I've, I suppose we've stuck with each other loosely over the years ever since. Um, and then I would say, as I suppose most designers would say, the, the telly stuff, especially the light entertainment stuff. So the chat shows, the sort of structured reality that I do, like celebs go dating, for example, um, that's sort of your bread and butter because that is uh, their nice long jobs and their regular pay, for example. Whereas advertising, as you will be aware, are shorter jobs with much higher pay. And unless you're doing things back to back to back, you may have gaps in between. So kind of I always think to kind of pay the mortgage and do the nice things I do my telly stuff because that's more um less volatile than advertising shall we say um and for sort of the fun holidays I (laughs) financially I do uh I do advertising every now and then which is sort of nice um so it's nice to keep it varied so as a going back to when you're saying about being an assistant on set and having no idea apart from you know, a good eye and a, a case directory. How did you navigate, you know, the world of commercials initially? And like, you know, did you find that you're watching different members of the department just to kind of like work out how things worked or how, how did you, how did you fit in? Absolutely. Absolutely. I am, I don't know if it was my upbringing or I don't know if I am an incredibly good student when I don't know something. And I'm delighted to take advice from other people, especially people who are already working on the set or who have employed me. And therefore, although I didn't know anything, I was very, I think, hopefully, I came across this way, I was very humble and asked questions, but I was quite careful to do as much Googling and as much research myself before I asked the stupid question and only when I couldn't work it out myself then I asked a question or whatever and it would have been something that I don't know what this term is or I don't know what that means or I don't know or when do we need to have this prop by or how do we deliver things or where do we source things from or what is a budget or just all of these sort of questions that I I had no idea about but I was quite I think I was quite good at just saying yes and asking constantly, can I help? What can I do? Can I can I do something for you? Can I take that off your hands? Can I, you know, how can I make this easier for you? Do you want me to send that email on your behalf whilst you're on the phone? I, I was very giving and very willing to learn. I think the problem that I've, not the problem that I've noticed, but I get now a lot of CVs through and I, I work with a lot of juniors. And it's interesting because when you're a junior, it's absolutely not the time to pretend like you're still in film school and act like you know exactly what you're doing. That's When you're a junior, you are a junior and everyone knows you're a junior. So no one expects you to be a DOP or to be an art director or to be a designer because those roles are already filled. So I think my one tip, if I may give one on your podcast, Max Lincoln, yeah, of course. Is, that, is that juniors should 
take the time to learn and nourish themselves and absorb all the information that they can um, because that will benefit them in the long run. And being a junior is not the time to um, persist with wild ideas or whatever because all of that is already being taken care of by more experienced members of the department. You're, you're there to help and you're incredibly valuable as help, incredibly valuable. Um, but it's kind of almost for yourself to work out where you're best placed and just sort of be a little bit in the shadows and just always be on hand to help. Um, and that's that's my advice to juniors, <laughs> working their way up. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing about ego, especially when you leave, say, a university, like I, I went to film school, you know, you, you obviously went to art school as well. Like you kind of in the university environment you have this inflated ego in my situation we made our graduation films like very excited thought we were the the ship basically and then you come out and suddenly you're doing work experience or assisting you don't really know anything you know absolutely yeah, yeah i could put up some flats but that doesn't mean i i've got construction experience and so it's, it's quite hard to at least at the start and i found it for a while navigating you know being that humble assistant rather than being like oh, i'll fucking do it and it's like no 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 no. that's what construction's job is you don't need to get away from but this because <laughs> because you don't necessarily know that i mean i didn't yeah, know if yeah. i if i think to my first few jobs i didn't even know who everyone on the credits was I, I didn't actually have a clue what the job roles were even within the art department i didn't really know i mean i couldn't pinpoint it all to you now because it's, it's all so familiar but i i didn't really know why there were so many people on set and um, because because you know and yeah i you know i made shorts i'd made whatever rubbish i made at uni but um yeah when you emerge you 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 need to be humble and also working as an art director or working as a set deck now i i know the importance of the team who work alongside me and it is so so important as a junior or as anyone who's who's assisting any anyone in any department to just be present and pick up the phone and check in and and always be there and always because you are the second eyes in a way um, and it's really helpful to have that other person if that other person is on the phone for four hours at a petrol station to their mates <laughs> because, because they don't think their job's important then that you're not being a very good junior not that that's happened but you never know I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? Always be humble, always be studious and always be willing to learn. Are my yeah. three top points. <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing with assistance, especially when you've got someone that you're trying out and you ask them to go buy some screws from B&Q and B&Q's around the corner and then they come back in an hour. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um... And you're like, what have you been doing? And And then, and then, but yeah. you, you say, what have you been doing? And they say, well, I didn't know which ones to buy and I wasn't sure about this. Then I asked that and then I Googled this. And you're just like, oh, my God, please just send me a picture next time. Don't stand there <laughs> worrying yourself. Yeah. Life is too short. Just phone me. Give me a give me a call. Like, no questions too, like, no questions too stupid. Mm. And if you don't know it, you will waste time. And time is very, very precious in film and TV and advertising. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's, it's definitely something that it takes a little bit of time to navigate. Like, what is a good question? You know, what can I research myself? But, yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, like, we're always running to a very tight deadline. And but you've just also, got to get things quickly. What I learned by get by trying to get things quickly was that I now forensically know my way around London. Well, at the beginning, I didn't. 
And I worked, you have to work out, right, well, I've got, you know, lists are our best friends, as you as you'll know, Max, and everyone loves writing a list. And you have to plan your day, again, something that I learned very early on from Dahlia, you have to plan your day methodically. So you maybe start off at props houses, then you go to your furthest point across London, for example, if you're working in London, and then you um, make your way back to other pit stops, back to the props house or back to set or whatever, you know, towards the end of the day. So you're not, what you don't want to do is crisscross London 24 yeah. hours a day, and then you spend the majority, you know, 80% of your day sitting in traffic. Yeah. So you've got to be not only good at sourcing, good eye, creative, and all the rest of that, but there's also a very logical systematics planning logistics side to our jobs as well as the budgeting side to our jobs mm. so it's it's you almost have to be really confident in your ability to be creative visually with the props and the styling and everything and uh, but then that's all useless and pointless it doesn't really matter if you've found the best sofa in the world because it might be on mars and you need it today so you have to be quite logical about how you plan for success on any on any given job yeah i think that's really really good advice um although often i, I remember being a, a petty cash buyer on a feature and having that choice taken away from me where i was the feature was in free mills which is east london and i had to drive to i had to drive to prop land to collect a prop and then rather than doing the rest of my missions, they wanted me to take the prop directly back to set free mills. And then I had to go back out again. And I think I went from East to West London, I think six times in oh. a very short period of time. <laughs> um, so I'd recommend, I'd recommend a good audio book if you're in the car for that kind of thing. Yeah, but, all, but also with that in mind, yeah. I always think, it doesn't matter what tasks I'm set because I'm being paid a day rate and sure. my my day with day rates I always think my day is yours and I am here to help and I will be a hundred percent dedicated and you can request of me as much or as little as you as you want um, and that also goes I suppose it works in my favor if someone books me to source one very important prop for their minuscule, minimalistic shoot where they don't need anything because it's a white cove or whatever. And I say, well, that's fine. But even though it's one prop, it, my day rate doesn't change sure. um, even just because the workloads change. And if, if something is too ridiculous and there's thousands of things to source, I'll, you know, it's my responsibility, I suppose, as um, what you would call it, a senior member of an art department to suggest that we get in assistance or we spend longer on the project or you know you start those red flags quite early on so it's all about i suppose gauging what different projects need and just making those executive decisions to better inform the wider group as to how best to tackle each problem I and mean, we are just problem solvers at the end of the day absolutely so you've talked about going to prop houses a lot how do you navigate them as efficiently as possible with a lot of um, a lot of knowledge about who carries what <laughs> and uh, and and what you need, um, there's various different props houses all over the uh, UK, all over the world, I suppose. Um, 
and they all have different specialities and different different uh, things that they stock. And there's lots of things that they don't stock. So I suppose very early on in a project, you would compile a list or you'd get the list from the client or you'd get it from the treatment or whatever, however the brief is presented to you. And you um, would isolate those objects that would be easy to find, i.e. I always think things are easy to find in a props house. So you sort of isolate all of that and you'd say, right, well, I know I can get that from Super Hire. I know I can get that from Trevor House. And I know I can get that from Modern or whatever it is, all the different props houses. Then you double check in the props houses <laughs> and you work out that you can't get anything there and you were wrong. <laughs> and then you start you start the mission of you know, hauling everything in. Um, but props houses I find are quite useful for filler. So there's, uh, we use a term called smalls in uh, this industry, which is basically anything that's not furniture. And um, they're really good. I find props houses are really good for, for clutter and almost kind of clearing the shelves. And you know, if you go into a set and it's dressed as like a mad office that is just bursting with stuff, and you know the location or the set build is just empty to start with. And you think, oh, God, I've got like 24 hours to fill this thing to make it look like someone's lived here for 50 years. And you just need stuff. You, you just need stuff. There's no other way of describing it. And you need books and you need papers and you need CDs and vinyls and just all these magical things that probably only exist in film sets and don't actually exist in such abundance in real life that often. But um but you, you just sort of go to a props house and they've got these like supermarket trolleys almost and you just fill <laughs> like a like a lunatic, Max. Um, as you know, you fill like an absolute lunatic and uh, then pack it all up and bring it to set and distribute and dress as you wish to make it all beautiful. So you've worked on a lot of um, light entertainment and kind of game shows alongside the rest of your, your I guess, roles. Um, how do you find working on them? Like, you know, I, I can imagine they might have smaller arts department budgets because the focus isn't necessarily on the arts department, but they often do have props. Um, it's often, so talking about things that are like game-based or um, chat shows and things like that, I suppose. I did things like Celebs Go Dating, as I said. I, I did the show called Sex Pod <laughs> for, for Channel 5, which uh, was... Just, I don't know, we, but we did a backdrop and I got some furniture in and it was lovely and it, it looked it looked nice. They were talking about sex all the time. They got all these 18 year old contributors to ask questions like, what is bumming or whatever. Um, and it ran, it ran, I think it's still running on Channel 5. It ran for series and so <laughs> I don't know who's commissioning these things, but people love it. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of light entertainment. Um, and I don't, we just approach it in the same way, except with a much more streamlined crew. So as an art, as an art director for um, light entertainment or, um, yeah, light entertainment, um, I sort of become this strange hybrid props buyer, designer, slight props maker, and then anything that's slightly out of my remit or I've run out of time, I'll sort of outsource to. <laughs> other people so um but yeah it's a different ball game it's not as, it's not as fleshed out it's we don't have such a big department and you're right we don't have such big budgets um and but also the the concepts are more fluid 
So you, you, I don't want to say you get away with a lot more, but you don't have to be as literal about things. So if someone needs, you know, a guitar to do some fake comedy guitaring, it could be a million different types of guitars. It could be, you know, you can make it, you could draw it, it could be inflatable, it could be a real guitar, it could be whatever. And you just kind of, there's no, you are the creative control completely. Whereas in advertising, I find it's a lot more fragmented. You get the agency, the PR company, the client, the production, the director's got really strong views about the design. Everyone else has incredibly strong views about the design and you're almost just there to guide creatively, but everyone's already got a fairly set idea. You know, there's art directors within the agency that have fleshed this out for months and or and then you know the project goes. Whereas in telly, you don't have any of those people and, and someone just comes up with an idea and they're like, quick, let's do it. Let's shoot it tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and uh, you just, yeah, I don't know, just make it happen, I suppose. Yeah, I remember working on a, a nameless project with you where we essentially just had to get a bunch of mad props that the contributors may or may not choose to use. You know? Right. So, like, we, uh, I think we had to get a sex toy, like a male sex toy that had a big crucifix on it and just bags of weird kind of things oh, yeah i love that that would you know what that i was that that's not the job but you reminded me of it <laughs> i once did a sex testing kit advert we talk about jobs i mean i've been doing it for 10 years and you just have the most i'm sure you've got the most ridiculous things that you've been asked to do maybe oh, not because yeah. you've got you've got much more dignity than i do i, <laughs> I just there's a few just, on the cv that will, will i just not honestly be on the CV. oh i just spread my legs and take it i just love the money but <laughs> i am um, i was doing a sex testing kit advert for a price you can i didn't go the idea was you, you go online you pay x amount they send you a sex sexual health testing kit online uh, to your to your home and you send it back to the lab and they say you've got chlamydia sorry about your life but uh, they had to do an advert for it and we were, we were doing this advert we got this treatment and uh, i found myself in soho bookstore i think it's called on brewer street in the basement in the sex shop and i had a basket it must have been about 15 different types of dildos in this basket this is the life of a props buyer <laughs> and people think it's glamorous max but as you very well know it's not so I, there I am with 15 dildos. I, I, <laughs> I had to take pictures of all of them and I had to upload them to a Dropbox. And then I phoned the director and I said, hello, please can you look in the Dropbox? We've got some options on dildo props. I would like to know um, which ones you would like me to buy for the shoot. And this was all because we were having uh, Labradors. <laughs> <laughs> This is how ridiculous scripts are. This is all because we were having Labradors who were going to be police training dogs, but they were actually being rebranded for our advert as sexual health sniffing dogs. So they were, we were going to train them in one of the scenes and they were going to run around the field with dildos in their mouths and sniff out <laughs> the sexual health problems. And that was the concept of this advert. Wow. So I'd, I'd put this basket of dildos behind the um, counter 
and I said, excuse me, to the man, you know, the cashier, I said, please, can you put all of these on hold? And it basically, it looked like I was about to have a massive gangbang orgy. And I just sort of, I just, you just have to not even be phased by anything. The amount of times I've, you know, we've made, especially in light entertainment, we've made poo, you make vomit, there's always a dildo involved, there's always a catheter that's bursting, there's always wee on the floor, there's there's always just these re- silly, silly, silly props. There's always a wee joke in light entertainment and scripted comedy, always always a wee joke, always someone shits themselves. I've, these reoccurring, hilarious things that people write when they script things, I don't know where... <laughs> I don't know where they get their lowbrow laughs from, but it always falls to the art department. Yeah, <laughs> I love how I've completely brought down the tone of your lovely podcast. As no, well. I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's it's nice to explore different angles, and I think it's quite funny. I, I I've often think I've often thought that a reality TV show of watching, for example, maybe you making fake poo, would be quite funny. And actually, it was for no reason other than to watch you. But, um... It was honestly, and you turn up to set at seven a.m. and you've got. I honestly, we've had this before. My, one of my my close assistants, Izzy Black. She, I was flying back from where was I? A shoot in Portugal somewhere, and I was flying back on the Sunday, and we were going to um, shoot something in Canterbury Prison. On was it Canterbury Prison? Cambridge Prison? What some a prison somewhere? We were going to shoot. Monday morning. So I flew back. I got to Luton um, Sunday evening. And then I drove to wherever this prison was, stayed overnight, woke up in the morning. And my assistant, Izzy, had prepped five different types of poo in Tupperware (laughs) out out of various things. And they went different sizes and different textures and different colours. And then obviously we didn't use them because... The idea changed or whatever and a lot of what i do is never <laughs> it never makes it to screen but you know as i said that always comes back to you pay me for a day right i don't really care it's I'll, I'll i'll make and design and do as best i can and whether you use it as a production company is is totally up to you and um, it's, it's my job to provide and, and facilitate um it's not my job to obviously well, it's definitely not my job to, to edit or or suggest what the script says or you know do anything else like that. It's funny, that's obviously quite... I guess if it was in drama and you dressed this beautiful manner and then they decided to cut the scene, it would probably cut a lot deeper than, you know, you've made 50 hand props that aren't used in a, you know, in a game show, for example. I mean, it, I feel it, that, that sort of thing still does happen. Yeah. Um, there's I we were on I can't remember what sitcom it was, but we dressed an entire room and it got pushed back in the schedule three times because camera overran as they usually do, um, and they and you know the location needed to be released or whatever, so we just had to strike and reset and strike and reset three times across the whatever it was the eight week shoot. They just kept moving that scene within the schedule. Um, and it was it was horrible because it was such a stupid scene. It was, you know, person A says three lines to person B and you need a whole brand new location for it that needs to be fully dressed and, and mood boarded and done and dealt with. And you would just it was just money and there were greenery involved and it was just here's here's loads of money that we're just gonna waste all the time. And it's it's a lot there's a lot of 
there's a lot of moving parts in film, TV and advertising. And sometimes it comes together brilliantly and it just takes one thing to throw it out. And God forbid it's our department, (laughs) (laughs) which usually it's not. We're usually quite good at being quite on the the ball with it. It's quite nice when other departments are to blame for for schedule lapses. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's one of those things as well when one department is slowing down and then you forget for a second and then suddenly the whole thing slows down and it can be quite problematic. But you've just got to kind of be on your toes even if another department's not quite being as efficient as they could be really. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and there, there are obviously, well, there are some projects that I love more than others. I don't know why, maybe because they're a bit naughtier. I don't know what, like naughtier is in, I don't know, because I do a lot of comedy so, and sometimes things are a bit on the line and I find that quite funny. Um, and, that, and if I love a project, I'll, I'll like, I'm really happy to stay up till midnight sourcing and doing and emailing. So there's a bit of passion. I know at the beginning of this, I said that I'm sort of not passionate enough to throw things <laughs> into that. But really, I think there's the one or two. Well, there's one or two producers that I absolutely love working with, and um, and we've had one or two midnight phone calls where we've just had sort of crazy, crazy planning sessions, and you know. You do you do fun things like you drive to the office at midnight and it's all in central London and you're going into whatever the top floor of the thing and you're speaking to the MD and it's all very like real life adulting serious stuff and it's quite fun. Um, but then there's other things that are just a bit like, oh, well, this is very boring. <laughs> so it's the ups and downs. It's, it's definitely not an office job, is it? No, it certainly isn't. So you've actually worked in quite a few different places around the UK, maybe more England than the UK, but how have you found working in different cities to London? Nightmare, <laughs> a- absolute nightmare, and everyone will lose it with me for this. I've worked in Liverpool, I've worked in Manchester, um, I've worked, well, I did one show very early on in my career where we traveled the UK, um, I did, <laughs> I mean, it's not my claim to fame, but it was quite fun. For Britannia with Dom Jolly. <laughs> um, and we travelled all the way around the UK. And I didn't even know what high street I was in because we'd been to so many um, where we were shooting. It was like a hidden camera show. And um, I find working outside of London is a nightmare unless you have a team that are super local and incredibly knowledgeable and very, very eager to advise you because there's a lot there's a lot of my job that I do in London that I do so efficiently because I know exactly what I can get when and where and how long it's going to take and all all the rest of it and when you take away all my resources you almost have to have a local team so for example I was working in Manchester last year we were doing a BBC One drama Um, for most of last year we were shooting uh, it was all studio build and I had to rely on the local team to, because things come up, as you say, you know, there's curveballs that come up. We need you know, an elephant tomorrow or whatever it is, whatever ridiculous thing someone needs. And you just say, yes, 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 no problem. But then actually when all your elephant suppliers aren't local because you're in Manchester and not where you're from, um, you need to ask your local team, where can I get this from immediately? Because all of a sudden you're slightly powerless. Um, and there's people who have more knowledge than you do in that certain geographical area, which is the same for when I was, tra- you know, I was traveling around Europe um, and I was in 
Monaco and I had a fixer and we were running around like lunatics trying to source to go on this yacht. We were dressing this ridiculous yacht for whatever it was. And I didn't I didn't know. I mean, first of all, I don't speak French. Second of all, I didn't know the best florist or the best. So I had to rely on my fixers and my team to source. And then from there, you can be creative. But the logistics are something that I'm very happy to kind of be guided with by other people when I'm out of London, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, local area knowledge is so invaluable, as you've said. And, you know, there are so many fantastic people in so many other cities around the UK. It makes so much more sense to use the local crew for certain things because, you know, how would you know the best florist in Birmingham or wherever you might find yourself? Sure. There are, for what when I was working in Manchester, and I love Manchester, it's one of my favourite cities, but there are, in comparison to London, there are four or five props companies and they are very good at what they do, but there's, there's just no comparison to the abundance of resource that we have in London for this industry. So much so that they waste, well, they, they have to, they're forced to send trucks backwards and forwards from London um, to Manchester to load up with props. And it's just a, it's such a waste of finance on the transport budget that that really irritated me. So we tried our best when we were working up there to source from uh, markets and antiques markets. We were going around all the secondhand dealers and I got to know um, all of the Manchester antique stores quite well. I've got all of them in my phone <laughs> to call on for anything and they'd always phone me. They'd say, oh, we've got this sideboard in. Do you want it? And you say, no, we've done them. We've dressed the set already. It's all over. Um, so... I don't know, it's all good fun. You get, you get to know a lot of different people from a lot of different trades and you get to pick up lots of knowledge um, from industries that you would have otherwise had absolutely nothing to do with. And the amount of times that I've spoken to someone about this, I don't know, farming equipment or just just things that I would just never, it wouldn't cross a, a, your mind to even question what that object is, why that is. And the, quite, the fun of it is being given a brief and you think, what on earth is that object and where will I get it from? And then you just start the, you start the forensic investigation mm. <laughs> and one, one Google search at a time, one you know, WhatsApp message at a time, you narrow it down, you whittle it down, you work out exactly what it is, mm. how much it costs, where you can source it from, if you can borrow it, if there's an expert that knows how to operate it, if they can come to set, all these different things about an object that is it suddenly becomes the pinnacle of your existence for the mm. time that you're working on that project and um, but otherwise you'd have no idea what that prop was yeah it's, it's quite useful in terms of um having weird and useful knowledge of kitchen equipment and um various home things um for example i remember i was with my parents the other week and they were trying to explain something for a table and i knew instantly it was a trivet but 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 who I mean a trivet's not a generally discussed item of kitchen like homeware. Sure. You know. It's 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 you know <laughs> some useful useful bits. Use, useful pub knowledge. Useful pub knowledge. Um <laughs> so yeah, I guess I guess you you've been saying that you are a bit of a gun for hire, but is there you've been doing a lot more set decoration as of late. Are you wanting to focus more into that space or where are you feeling? 
See, I like set decoration because after 10 years of running around like a blue-ass fly, it's quite nice to just be in the office or be out and about and look at the core elements of the set rather than the tiny, tiny, tiny bits and bobs that have to kind of come together. I suppose with a set decorator, you work quite closely with the designer um, and the art director to come up with the concepts and the colours and the patterns and the textures and the fabrics, the paint choices and all the lovely things. Whereas all the lovely things that really steer the design of a project. Whereas as a buyer, which I still do and love, um, you're thinking more intricately about the individual items that make up the larger picture. So it's kind of just two ways of looking at the same design brief. Both are very important, both need to be fulfilled. But as a set deck, you almost have this sort of arching awareness of what's going on. You've got buyers who are working with you and you've got assistants who are working with you and petty cash buyers and whatever. And, um, and it's nice to have a team that you can guide and I'm quite um, confident at my my managerial skills so it's quite it's quite nice to kind of just have that uh, team around you and just bring bring a set to life really together nice so you know your lockdown experience what had you been doing slash have you been doing to stay artistically motivated um I've been doing lots to stay artistically motivated. I've got, I've, I've got, um, I've got a little side hustle that's been brewing since last November, okay. where I create, um, I create screen prints and sculpture. So I actually, back in the day, I did a foundation course in art and design. I specialised in sculpture, and I was making lots of clay things. And I don't really know why I didn't bother being a props maker, but just, I quite, I just like buying things more than I like making things. Um, and I sort of specialised in 3D in my art foundation course then I went on to do performance design and was more interested in making models and set design and things like that at Central St Martins so I'm kind of revisiting that now by doing my own thing with my own brief and making light boxes and sculpture and things that mean something to me and through my creative expression of that I suppose I um I've partnered with a charity called Switchboard LGBT Helpline and I raise money for them um, who help LGBT people um, by offering them a helpline service um, to ask the questions that they are afraid to ask themselves, other people, um, to help them through any sort of mental health crisis they're going through. So it's quite quite a nice thing to do that on the side of fulfilling other people's briefs in TV and advertising. Mm. Um, it's quite nice to have work in my own right I suppose and see where that takes me yeah I mean I, I love I love the things you've been creating and it's amazing to give back to such an important charity as well um, especially as you know when you are working in adverts um, specifically rather than the others you know you're essentially selling products so giving back at some point or another Oh, people have such a problem with this. People have such a problem with this. And I, I'm i one of the rare ones, Max, that I do not have an issue with that at all. <laughs> I, I think people should have a strong sense of moral purpose. And if they, don't, if they don't want to buy the product, they shouldn't buy the product. And the advert shouldn't persuade them otherwise. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but we're, we're experts. I would say this, we are, the, the whole art department in general, are experts at creating the perfect environment for a product to exist in. Mm. We, we create, you take product, whatever, whatever it is, it could be a thimble and we will create the most immaculate sewing kit for it to live in and it mm. will look amazing because it has been styled by a team of experts, vision experts. Um, and it will be the most appealing thimble and you will want to buy it. <laughs> but that's always what I love. That's what I love about this is that you can take something, you heighten everything. Everything is just so um, immaculately beautiful when mm. you break it down frame by frame. As you know, the storyboards lead the way. And the, the sort of treatment leads the way too. And then it's up to us to bring the magic to the set. Yeah. Well, on that note, thanks so much for coming on the show. And um, yeah, I look forward to well, seeing you around the prop houses, really. Oh my God, absolute pleasure, Max. Absolute pleasure. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for having me. The show's intro was composed by Sam McGrail, mixed by Max Bloom, and the artwork was created by Alec Jagodzinski.